0: The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. Well, this is it. This is a good way to open up. You'll you'll, you'll note almost every, I think, almost every staff member with a few uh, subtle uh, distinctions uh, is not here. They are celebrating the uh, wedding of... Uh, Luke and Nadine now Bowers in North Carolina, and a lot of people from the church have gone, and we're just so happy for them. They're two of the most wonderful people you've ever known. They've been together as friends forever, and they signed and sealed the deal apparently yesterday. So we're uh, glad and happy in the Lord for that union, which was uh, uh, instituted and ordained by God, we trust. Uh, a, A second thing kind of in an announcement sense this morning Uh, The children right after the service apparently are going to work on some kind of staging for a children's choir event or something like that. Forgive me if I'm not saying that right. I I don't know if Bonnie's in here, but they will need some room. So if we could kind of drift towards the back fairly gently and quickly after the service, and you're welcome just to fill the lobby and do whatever, but apparently they need some uh, room. So that's what I was advised to say. I think the next thing is um, this. We, you know, there's so much to say, guys. It's uh, No, I'm not going to cry today like I usually do, I don't think. But um, maybe I will. Our dear friend, um, we have a number of friends here that are sick. They're sick with fairly deadly stuff. And the one I want to kind of outline, would you play, pray, in the, in, not in the spiritual sense, but in the real sense for our dear friend George Chatzka, who is in need of a transplant. He needs a new heart, he's been in critical condition, he, he is a, as a baby was born without certain parts of his heart in place, and this has been a lifelong struggle from a man who came to Christ to when he, he fell over as his heart basically killed him, he was dead to all intents and purposes. God raised him up. He became one of the most dedicated servants you've ever met in your life. He just lost his wife, who's our dear friend, some months ago. So some of you know the story. For those of you that don't, this is, this is, we, we are family. The inescapable beauty of the, the fact that we are excise means that we know each other. And this personally hurts. I wake up in the mornings and go to bed at night thinking of praying for these guys. So, um, and those are only the ones I can mention. There are a number here that are in a fairly desperate condition. And, but in an absolute sense, uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that is far better, Paul said, far better than living in this world. Be not anxious in anything, but in everything, in prayer and supplication, as I preached last week. Let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God which passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This morning, we're going to go to about the center of Mark. You'll remember it's kind of an action gospel. It moves fast. I, I do not have the time to do what I... It intended so. I'm probably going to leave things for Mark to fix when I'm done. Mark 8:31 through 38 has some of the most potent and powerful scriptures. They are life-changing, life-shaping, and uh, uh, both uh, mechanisms for discipling uh, ourselves, our souls, and bodies. But also, these are things that change the world. We worry about politics endlessly, at least I do. I just think about this stuff all the time, unfortunately, and I have to untether myself from it and think on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God that ultimately he is in control, and that is the only place where we can find our rest. In this particular passage, it says he began to teach them, he meaning Jesus, and this is a moment of shock and trauma for the disciples, you see, in the political world, that they felt, in some sense, I will use that uh, metaphor or that figure of speech to describe the fact that they thought they were with a winner. When people go to churches, they want to look at people like me to see if they're going to be winners in the game of life. It's a shallow calculation. It's kind of meaningless and, frankly, ridiculous. Because and and, and, and because. This isn't what it's about, and Jesus is about to expose that. Before I forget this, let me tell you, I was obligated to say this for my dear uh, son Mark and for your benefit. It's end of the year. Please, you know, we don't like to say anything, but please consider uh, just giving and helping us uh, yet again. It's that time where we would just so deeply appreciate your gifts and offerings uh, so that we can kind of keep the lights on and expand our world Back to my sermon topic. What we need here is to listen very carefully. Because he is going to go in their minds, in my estimation, in my interpretation, from winner status to loser status in moments. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's him. It's a mysterious name, appellation. I like to use big words to confuse everybody. But it is a mysterious name indicating his association with the human condition. But more than that, he was also the son of of Mary, a, a, a human being. He is in touch with our infirmities and with our lives. He is, in a sense, one of us, or so these guys are thinking, and now he's going to play his hand and expose something much greater. After he began to teach them, after all his miracles, after all the things he'd done, after massive crowds had followed, he began to teach them that the Son of Man himself must, be suffer, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders. That's the kind of synagogueian uh, uh, Jewish uh, leadership. The powerful politicians of the day, he'll be rejected by them. That's, that's not a winner there, is it? And, and, and the chief priests, the religious leaders would reject him. Remember, they're connected to him through some kind of umbilical cord. And the scribes, the great scholars of the day, will reject him as well, and he will be killed, he says. And after three days, he will rise again. And here's a key phrase. He said this plainly. He's a straight talker. And Peter took him aside. Uh, we all see this, I guess, as this big guy walks in the room and, and, and he takes him aside. He's, he's the man and he hears this and I'm telling you, he's shocked, he's dismayed, he's going through all kinds of things and he's saying, but he's still loyal to Jesus and he takes him aside to square him away and to straighten him out. This is not the person you can straighten out or square it away. And Jesus had said this statement plainly of what the real path was for him. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Turning, he sees you guys and me. We're in this this crowd and Peter's there. And he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. The kind of idea that when we're with this man and he can produce food and he can work miracles and do all this stuff, and we're kind of tied to him at the hip and we'll be there and we'll be successful in life. We'll make it. We'll be all stars. We will shine with him in the firmament of mankind here. And then Jesus said the thinking that Peter is having is from Satan. And he's heard it before somewhere in a wilderness. Where all kinds of offers of success were made to him. You'll remember. By the head demon, Satan, this, this mysterious opposition figure that expresses what is in the dark heart of man. Somehow, something in this guy was ridiculously powerful. And he tells Jesus if he'll just bow down and worship him, he'll give him everything. He tells him a number of things. Turn this stone into bread. Supply your own physical needs. All kinds of things he tempts him with. He tempts him with the things, the the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, all kinds of things which attract and entice men, unsteady men and women, to destruction and dismay. And Jesus hears that siren call. And he loves the guys that are right there with him, but he loves them enough to tell them, do not utter this demonstrably dark and evil nonsense. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. He's not going to be a conqueror. He's not going to be a military champion, except in a spiritual sense, is he? What a powerful rebuke from Jesus, from Jesus. What he's come to do is to give his life. It's to die, he says in this passage. Here was a devilish suggestion to fall down and worship Satan. He wasn't going to do it. Didn't even occur to him. Do you know, have you ever had people come to you in this kind of situation and say, Bill, you you shouldn't do this. Bill, you should stop that. There was one mom. uh, uh, There was a boy in in a thing written by one of the great poet uh, uh, laureates of his time in England. His name is escaping me as I extemporize here. But the bottom line is a young man feels that he is called and has been touched by King Arthur's example and wants to be a knight of the round table. And his mother knows that, and she does everything in the poem verbally to stop him. But he will not be stopped. He will continue on and do what he is called to do. When I began this church, uh, some men said to me that I assume love me, Uh, don't do it, Bill, you're stepping in front of a, a roaring locomotive. You have nothing to support yourself. You will be destroyed. It wasn't an encouraging word. These were godly men. They were men like these disciples. And yet, uh, if I had yielded to that voice, who knows what my life would have become. The Lord is gracious and sometimes people talk to you and say things that you shouldn't listen to one listen to for one second the young man that was going to walk his name was gareth was going to walk with king arthur and the knights said in essence and i will again uh, summarize he said mom my life is christ what i am doing is for him if i lay my life down for this if i live my life to be like him and to, and a major in purity and in love, and in tenderness, and in goodness, and in protection, and in a holy fight. Why will you stand in my way of that? So Jesus has been confronted and basically told not to do what he said he was going to do, where he was actually prophesying the very will and heart of God, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples. He said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself... Take up his cross and follow me. He gives an alternate pattern from the one they thought they had of being rich and famous. Lifestyles of the rich and famous. These are the lifestyles of the poor and seemingly insignificant. Those who die in the shadows and yet they glow before the king of kings and lord of life. And then Jesus said, because here's how life really works, spiritual life for whoever would save his life will lose it. If you live your life for safe, you're losing the battle of life. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will find it. For what does it profit a man? Listen carefully to gain the whole world and lose his soul. I will not preach an anti materialist gospel here this morning. It's great to have houses and cars and all these things, but at the end of the day, they burrow down into insignificance as compared to what love can do, as compared to what staying with your wife can do, as compared to knowing your children and wrapping your arms around them, as compared to giving your life away, both material, not just substance, This big, pulsating heart, have you given that to Jesus? For what can a man give in return for his soul? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Oh, to have Jesus be ashamed of me. I lived a life he would have definitely and was, I'm sure, ashamed of. I was not a major sinner. I was the most minor league sinner But as you get older, and as I am with people who are given deathbed confessions, you found out that these things that you thought wouldn't harm you, it's just a party, it's just a momentary indiscretion, all kinds of weasel words to get out of the fact that you did something heartrendingly wrong, with potentially cosmic consequences at least to you, when all of life is sorted out. And I'm speaking this morning, what I wanted to say, I hope there's a few teenagers here, Turn your life to Jesus now, 100%. Some college kids, 100%. Be the difference. Be different. I am telling you, the day will come where you will rue some of the decisions you made when you were young. I do. I think of them now more than I did when I was enacting this craziness. And I talked to men who had, at the very end of his life, it's primarily men, men say, well, God, forgive me for this. And they tell me their deathbed confession. And it's pretty bad. And I say, yes, all sins will be forgiven, the son of, sons of men. And we have an advocate, an attorney with the Father. And he is not only our attorney. He is the propitiation, the sacrificial lamb for our sins. He is King of kings and Lord of lords, yes, but he's also Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Not only can I assure you, you will be forgiven, you are forgiven. And you will enter heaven's gates, not based on your own merits, but on his precious love and and the confession of his very life living in you right now. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God and his power. The people that were listening to him that day thought it was all about military power, the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of Man, was going to conquer the Romans. When he was really out to conquer death. To conquer death. They thought they were losing everything in his plan. He knew they were gaining everything that was actually important. Oh, it is a strange thing when the tempter speaks to some well-meaning friend. It's an awful thing in Gareth's Kate, You'll note that Gareth had the courage to say, Mom, no. One time my mom gave me a call. I was a young uh, law enforcement officer. Uh, I'm just a bailiff at a, a county courthouse, a uh, young man trying to see if the law was right for me. It wasn't right for me without getting into that. And the bottom line was I get a call. And she says, my dad's dying, Bill, here. And I'm taking care of him, and but she didn't cry, she didn't do anything. And she said, I don't want you to come home. I don't want you to leave work. I said, I'm coming home and I'm leaving work. Now that makes me look good in that particular moment, but the only thing that enabled me to do that, the only power inside me that enabled me to do the right thing at the right moment was the life of Jesus Christ. If any man would follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. And walk the walk, not simply talk to talk. Oh, mother, how can you keep me feathered? Gareth says, shame, man, I, am I grown. A man's work I must do. Follow the deer? That means hunt? No. Follow the Christ, the king. Live pure, speak true, right, wrong. Follow the king. Else, wherefore born? What is the point of my life? Now this can be a moment where your life changes forever and for good. We cannot live the Christian life, but Christ can live it in us. And this world with devils filled, God's truth, abide still and he shall win the battle. He can fill you so full of himself. We're not asking you to white knuckle life. We're not asking you to lift spiritual weights in your own strength. I'm asking myself to be filled with something far beyond that type of strength, that type of testosterone. And that is the Holy Spirit of God. And if he will come upon you and me and help us, all things are possible. What is America's need? Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's not segmenting ourselves into different tents and camps, no. No, and I I condemn myself with my very words now. God help me, we need to pray for those who at the moment are our enemies, whatever they are, who don't agree with our our vantage, even if it is absolutely correct and holy. We need to win people to Christ, and what wins people to Christ, I know from long and hard experience, is a changed life. There was a young man who was a wrestler at my school. We were wrestlers. There was this big guy, handsome as he could be. Every girl was after him, why not? He was a movie star, literally. Brad Pitt had nothing on this guy. But something happened to him. And he would walk around and there was like a glow on his body. That's right, Tavis, a glow. What was different about him that made people, and me in particular, watch his life Not admit anything, not admit a certain envy, a certain desire to be like him. What was it about him? He reflected Jesus Christ. And I hungered and thirsted for that righteousness. And that ultimately led me to the Savior. When you read the words of Gareth here, doesn't it give you kind of a warm feeling? where a guy stands up to every temptation and says, I'm going the way of purity and holiness. I'm going after the kingdom of God. I'm not a conqueror in myself, but the Lord can help me to serve my God who is also my king. The honesty that these guys have is to say, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. You know, when Jesus speaks to us, he speaks things to us that we don't want to hear sometimes. And yet all great leaders do that. Do you, you'll remember the honesty of Winston Churchill in the days of World War II when Churchill took over the leadership of the country. And where I'm going with this is Jesus is telling him, unless you follow me, you don't have life in you. You don't have If any man would follow me, let him deny himself. Here's what you have to do to be a Christian. This is a Christian. Deny yourself self-denial. Pick up a cross. Some people in England called it a stake. This means it's almost a death knell for you in a spiritual way. A a new life is ahead of you, yes, but this is how you get there. If any man would follow, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and then follow Jesus. And where Jesus is going lurks death. And yet, it is a death to be desired as it is a death that brings forth life. Winston Churchill had a war looking at him. The Nazis were coming after him. What, did we, what was he to do? Could he lie to them, say, everything's going to be fine? That's what Jesus' disciples want. We're going to just conquer. It's going to be easy. No, here's what he said. He said, here's what I have to offer you. Blood, toil, tears, and sweat Garibaldi, the great Italian patriot, appealed for recruits on these terms. Here's how he made it sound. It's the same thing as Jesus calling these disciples. He's calling us this morning. I, this was in 1845, he was in a military situation which was deadly. He said, I offer neither pay nor quarters nor provisions. I offer hunger, thirst, forced marches, battles, and death. Let him who loves his country in his heart and not with his lips only follow me soldiers all our efforts against superior forces have been unavailing I have nothing to offer you but hunger and thirst hardship and death but I call on all who love their country to join with me that's what Jesus is saying These are his words expanded and given to a real leader. The great leaders of our time will always mirror this thinking. They're straight with you. You know, Alexander the Great, read The Mask of Command by John Keegan, I guess the best military historian of our time. He talks about Alexander the Great. There's a situation where he's chasing a a king called Darius. It's a battle, and and some uh, some of his men bring him water. Bring him water because he has gone 40 miles a day all of his troops had been walking 40 miles a day for 11 days. It is a marvel of military movement and, and, and an incredible moment for our historians. But for, for that man, Alexander the Great, and there's a reason he's called Great, it was devastating. He was uh, it, it, uh, almost at the point of death because he hadn't had water. And some of his men come to him. They've run around. They found a place. They offered him water. And he looked at it. And he looked at them and he said, what were you going to use this for? They said, we were going to take it to our children. Oh, well, perhaps we can get more, but we were going to take it to them. And he looked at it and basically says, I can't take this and I won't take this. What kind of example would that be to you? Jesus says, I'm not stepping away from the cross. I'm not stepping away from the pain. I'm going to go the whole distance for you because I love you. That's leadership. Alexander the Great's troops gathered at that moment, and they say, let's go. They attack Darius. Battle won. Story over. Water not needed, not necessary. Life was necessary. This is what leadership is. This is what inspires. This is what moves the heart, and this is what Jesus brought to people. He never tried to lure anyone to an easy way. He was a challenger. He was a guy with his finger in your face in the best sense of it who had the maximum amount of love to change you and me. I've almost come to the end. Let me say this. Here's what happens if you just live, live your life your own way. And it says in Mark 8, 36. Whoever seeks to save his life, to live in a worldly, ungodly way, that's really what he's talking about. That's saving our life in our own estimation else. Why do we do the crazy stuff we do? We're trying to fill an emptiness inside us but with poison. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel shall save it. There are certain things which are lost by being kept and saved by being used. Our lives are to be used for his glory. I will conclude with this story. There was a man whose name was Telemachus. And the idea of this is just Christ-likeness. It's what you should think about, and also kind of a a, a curiously uh, impotent spirituality. Telemachus was a monk, and he lived in the east. That means he wasn't near Rome. Rome was basically the capital of the world in the fourth century, and Telemachus was is, is out there somewhere and he says, I am going to give my life entirely in that monkish way to prayer. 100% every bit of it. And he prayed probably for a year or two. I don't know how long it was, but he was haunted by a fact and, and, and an idea haunted is the, perhaps the wrong term, but, but touched by the idea of a lost world. And he said, I saw all this pain in the cities and I've seen all this stuff. And can I just stay here And simply pray without putting feet to my faith. He determined to bid farewell to the desert. And set out to the greatest city in the world. Edward Gibbons the writer of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire tells his story. He begged his way across lands and seas. And by the time, by this time, Rome was officially Christian. And... People were pouring into Christian churches. But were they being changed is the question. But one thing had lingered on into Christian Rome. There was still the arena. There was still the gladiatorial games. There was still this excitement. And what would happen was the Christians would go, let's say, on an afternoon to see the games. And they would not see any Christians anymore because it was illegal being killed by animals or by their fellow men. What they would see was the soldiers they'd captured through war and slaves and other people that were not necessarily Romans and certainly were not Christians. And they hack each other to death. Those who are about to die salute you, they would say to the Christian emperor. Telemachus sees this. He comes back from the desert and looks at this, and he's an aged man in a monkish outfit. And he's able to climb over some barrier and get in the middle of this thing as men have begun to start hacking each other to death. And he tries to stop them. And the response from the Christian crowd and some there in the arena was to stone him. And then a voice cries out, kill him. And you see the flash of a sword go up and the flash of a sword come down and murder Telemachus. And then things just slowly started getting quiet. And they thought about this strange garb he was wearing. They knew that, sensed that, knew that he was a monk. He was a man of God who had just been slaughtered. And in a rather short time, the stadium began to empty. And Gibbon tells us that was the last gladiatorial contest in Rome because of, of one man if any man would follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and then follow. That is the heart of the gospel. It is grace that saves us. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Telemachus could see. Can you see? Can you see what the nature of your life is? Does God forgive sinners? Yes. Yes. Will you fail and walk wrong and stumble? Yes, daily. But when Jesus comes in, your batting average increases exponentially. Your life begins to change, and sometimes it starts to jump. Someone said, this is very kind, I said, you're a godly man. I'm not a godly man when I'm arguing with my wife, friend. Thank you for your compliment. But I know the reality of my life. I may not be what I should be. This I also know. But I'm not what I used to be. If any man would follow me, will you, madam? Will you, sir, follow the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Let's bow our heads to pray. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. Lord, we A, admit we're sinners. B, I believe, and I hope some in this room do, I believe that Christ is the only Savior. And I choose like Telemachus and Gareth and so many others to follow him. God, help me to deny myself. Lord, help us to take up our crosses, to put them on our backs and follow. And Lord, work a change in this benighted hour in my country And in our world, help us, we pray. Empower us and fill us with your Holy Spirit, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen.